Hey, everybody. Welcome. Uh, thanks for joining us. Those of you who are joining us out at our Ashley Park campus, we're glad you're here. And those of you watching online, thanks for being here with us. We are in week three of a series that where we're just basically walking step by step through the life of Jesus. We're looking at some of the most significant moments, significant events that happened in Jesus's life from the moment that he stepped onto the pages of history all the way up until his death and, of course, his resurrection, which we will all be celebrating here together on Easter Sunday. So we're really glad that you've joined in with us to be a part of this series. And I want to start, before we get into today's moment that we're looking at from the life of Jesus, I want to talk to you a little bit about why I think this series is so important and why I think it will be so helpful to all of us here, no matter who you are, joining in. First of all, let me say this. If, if you consider yourself to be a Christian, you're someone who follows Jesus, here's why I think this series is going to be helpful to you, and I include myself in on this. So many times as Jesus followers, we wind up allowing other things to cloud our relationship with Jesus or our following of Jesus. And here's what I mean by that. A lot of times we let things get in the way, things that are just sort of like well, just side issues. We get things all intermingled in our relationship with Jesus, things like politics and things like morality. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of those things by themselves, but oftentimes they can cloud our view of who Jesus is and what Christianity is all about. And I think if we will get, if you'll give yourself to this series and you'll walk with us through the life and the teachings of Jesus, I think Jesus's life and teachings really do start to clear a lot of that stuff up. And I think that's good news if you're a Christian. I think that's good news for all of us. But maybe you'd say, you know, I'm not a Christian, or maybe you're still even skeptical of Christianity, or maybe along the way someone, some Christian, or maybe some church that you've been to in the past, maybe they clouded up faith for you, or they made it really difficult for you to buy into the whole thing. I would say to you, I really think you do owe it to yourself to be a part of this series because I think what you're going to see as we look into the life and teaching of Jesus is that what Jesus introduced to the world was radically different from what maybe you've even experienced or what you grew up with in the church. And I'll just say to you, whatever you were led to think about Jesus or whatever you were led to believe about Christianity and what it's all about, if it was anything other than Jesus and Jesus alone, then you may not have been given the full picture. And I believe if you'll stick with us in this series and you'll give yourself to it and you'll listen and learn, I think you'll find that a lot of that stuff gets cleared up and that what Jesus came to introduce into the world is greater than all the stuff that you may have thought that the Christian faith was all about. So today, let's look at another moment from Jesus' life. And before we get into it, let me just say, that this moment we're looking at, at Jesus, in Jesus' life today, it's actually found in two of the biographies of Jesus. You know, we have four biographies in our Bible of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this one is found first in the book written by Matthew. Now, Matthew was one of the eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus, and here's what you need to know about Matthew. Matthew is kind of like this no-nonsense kind of guy. Uh, Matthew's not really interested in all the details surrounding stories. He's just really interested in what happened and not necessarily why it happened or how it happened. He's just telling us what he saw. And it, the moment you read this story we're going to look at today, in fact, the first time I read it from the book of Matthew, 
Well, let's just be honest. It, it's a little bit disturbing on its face. Uh, it, it was disturbing to me the first time I read it. In fact, if you want to read it yourself, you can find it in the book of Matthew chapter 4. But basically, here's what Matthew tells us happened. Jesus is walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee one day. He runs into these two sets of brothers, Simon Peter, Andrew, who were brothers, and then James and John, who were brothers. And they were all four fishermen. So they're out in their boats. Jesus comes upon these four guys, and he says to them, Hey, why don't you guys get out of the boats and come follow me? And they just say, Sure, and they drop their nets, they get out of the boat, they walk away from their father, their family business, they leave and they follow this guy that they just met, and they go off with Jesus. And when you read that, if you're like me, you start to think to yourself, well, that was awful sudden. In fact, that's pretty irresponsible. That's kind of reckless. I mean, who does that? Who walks away from their family business? Who leaves their father and, and all of this stuff to follow some guy that... You just met. When you read the second account of what happened, it makes more sense. Now, the second account of this story was written by a guy named Luke. And Luke is an historian. Luke's really into the details. He really looks at how things happened and why they happened. In fact, most scholars tell us that when Luke wrote his book, he interviewed Peter. And he interviewed Mary and a lot of the other people that surrounded the life of Jesus. And he got as many details about it as he could. And he included it in his book. So Luke gives us a lot more detail. So we're going to spend some time in Luke's account of this story. And it's found in chapter 5 in the book that Luke wrote. It goes like this. <clears throat> One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the Word of God. Now, this is basically what Jesus experienced most of the time during his ministry, especially once he began to get really popular. He would start drawing lots of crowds because they wanted to hear what he had to say. They wanted to hear his teaching because he was so compelling. There was so much in what Jesus was saying that people were interested in that they just couldn't get enough of it. And so this time, the crowd's growing, it's getting larger, and if you can picture it, they're getting closer and closer to Jesus to where the point where he's getting uh, farther down the beach, he's getting right to the water's edge. Verse 2, Jesus noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them, and they were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, Peter, its owner, to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. So here's your picture. Jesus is trying to get some distance between himself and this crowd so that they can all hear him because, again, they don't, they don't have microphones like we do. They don't have sound systems. So he's got to get some distance so he can, he can speak so the whole crowd can hear him. So he sees that these fishermen are not using their boats at the time. They're over cleaning their nets. And so he says, hey, let me borrow your boat. Now, this may not register with us because of where we live, and, and we're not fishermen in the first century, but when you were a fisherman in the first century, you always fished at night. And the reason you fished at night is because that was when the water was cooler and the fish would come a little bit closer to the surface to feed. And so when you let down nets, you were able to catch more fish. So <clears throat> you'd go out at night, you'd fish, and then when the sun came up and the water would start to warm up, you'd head on in and you'd, uh, you'd stop for the day. And then you'd clean your nets. You'd get all the beer cans and the water bottles out of your nets get things ready for the next night of fishing, and then you'd go home, get some rest, get some sleep, and then you'd come back the next night and start it all over again, and you'd fish at night. 
So when Jesus asks these fishermen to stop cleaning their nets and take him back out onto the water, you just need to know it's a big inconvenience for them already. But Simon Peter, you know, for whatever reason, maybe he'd heard a little bit about Jesus. There's a crowd there. He doesn't want to embarrass himself or Jesus in front of this crowd. He says, okay, I'll do you this favor. Jesus is starting to become a big deal, so maybe that was it. But he takes him out onto the water. Verse 4. When Jesus had finished speaking, he says to Simon, Now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets and let's catch some fish. Jesus is like when he gets done with his sermon, they're out there on the boat. He says, hey, guys, I got a great idea. Let's go fishing. And Peter, he's like me and you. He, he, he doesn't want to embarrass Jesus in front of people. He doesn't want to cut him down or make him feel like he doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't want to be rude. So he says to Jesus, he goes, Master, which is a sign of respect, it's, it means teacher. He says, you know, I get your, your smart dude. We worked hard all night, Simon says. And look, we didn't catch a thing. And it's kind of like he's saying to him, look, Jesus, I, I know you probably don't understand how fishing works because, you know, I've heard you're, you're just a carpenter. So let me just sort of educate you on this. We went out fishing at night, which is when you're supposed to fish, and, and the fish were supposed to be biting, and you just need to know, it was a bad night. We didn't catch anything all night long. And so here we are. We're real tired. We're just trying to get home. We're cleaning the nets, need some rest. Andrew's over here falling asleep. So this is not a good idea. We don't want to start this process all over again. We just want to get home. Now, what Peter doesn't know in this moment is that what he's about to decide in the next five seconds is going to change the course of history. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Peter has no idea what hangs in the balance of the decision that he's about to make. And if I could just for a second get a little bit personal with you, could I just say this to you? You don't know either. You don't know what hangs in the balance of the decision that you're about to make. That decision that maybe you're wrestling over or maybe that you've, you felt like God was telling you to do and maybe a decision that you're going to be challenged to make in the next 20 minutes. You don't know what hangs in the balance. You don't know who hangs in the balance of that decision. But for some reason, and I don't know, maybe, maybe he was just curious Maybe it was the way that Jesus asked him. Maybe there was something on the inside of Peter that was just nagging him the whole time. We don't know the reason, but for whatever reason, Peter says this. But, Jesus, if you say so, if you say so, I'll let down those nets. Jesus, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I believe that you're right about this. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're wrong, but okay. I respect for you, I'll do it. Now, I want you to hang on to that thought just for a second because we're going to come back to that. But Peter and his companions, they decide, okay, we'll do Jesus' favor. We'll do what he asks us to do. So they head back out into the water. They drop down their nets, and they see if they can catch some fish. But they expected to get what they got all night long last night. Nothing. Verse 6. This time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear a shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. So this time they didn't catch fish. They caught 
lots of fish. They caught more fish than they'd probably ever caught in their whole fishing careers. They caught net-breaking fish, boat-sinking fish. But I want you to notice something. They didn't catch those fish as a result of their strong faith in Jesus. Notice they weren't sure. They, they were just doing him a favor. Just, okay, just because you say so. You really don't know what you're doing, Jesus, but okay. Just because you say so, we'll let down these nets. They didn't catch. This is a miracle. This is a miracle that they caught all these fish. Their miracle from God did not come because they had such great faith. You know why their miracle came? Because they simply did what Jesus told them to do. It was in the application of Jesus' words where they saw the miracle. Not necessarily because they had such great faith in what Jesus was, was able to do. Now that's important. It's the application of Jesus' words that makes the difference. And I would say it's the same thing for you and for me. So when Simon Peter realizes what's just happened, that this massive amount of fish has just been, it's a miracle that Jesus made this happen, here's what Simon said. He says, we're rich. And he immediately hired Jesus on as his head fisherman because they were going to make a fortune. Now, that's not what he said. I just put that in there, just seeing if you were paying attention. I made that up. And the reason I did that is because that's what you would expect Peter's reaction to be. You would expect him to be joyful and excited and so overwhelmed by this great catch of fish. But that's not what Peter felt. See, Peter didn't think he just won the lottery. No, no. He had a different reaction. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus. And he said, oh, Lord. Now, notice that right there. That's a new title. See, before, Peter called him master, teacher, a sign of respect. You're a, you're a smart guy. You've got some good things to say. Probably worth listening to. Probably worth taking your advice. But now, after what Peter just saw, he's not master or teacher anymore. This time, he's Lord. And that word Lord, it means you're in charge. Whatever you say goes. See, now he knows that Jesus isn't just wise. He's not just a smart teacher. Jesus controls nature. Jesus possesses qualities, abilities that only belong to one, and that is God. So Peter realizes in this moment, either this man is God, or he's someone who's way closer to God than I've ever been or I ever will be. He's got a way closer relationship to God than I do. And so notice Peter's next statement. Oh, Lord, Please leave me. I am such a sinful man. And see, right there, Peter's just operating on an assumption that everybody in his day had about God. In fact, it's the same assumption that many people in our day have about God. Everything Peter had been taught his entire life, and maybe everything you've been taught about God for your entire life tells you, God distances himself from sinners, that God is disgusted, God is angry, and unless and until you pull yourself out of your sin and your mess, until you shape up, until you clean up, until you straighten up, God doesn't want anything to do with you. So Peter realizes, I'm in the presence of a man who's way closer to God than I've ever been. And what's his first thought? His first thought is, 
I don't have any business being near this guy. He should go away from me. Why? Because every other religious person in Peter's life had taught him that. The righteous people that he'd gotten to know, they distanced themselves from sinners. They looked down on sinners. They were disgusted by sinners because that's just the way the world worked, right? I mean, the world was very simple. First, you got to learn how to behave. You got to straighten your life up. You got to learn how to follow the rules. And once you learn how to behave, then you got to learn how to believe. You got to get your thoughts right. You got to get your beliefs right. You got to get every opinion right about God and about the world. And once you get those things figured out, it's then and only then that God will declare, okay, you belong in my family. You belong and you can be close to me. And that's when God draws near. God doesn't draw near to sinners. He draws near to the people who behave right, who believe right. Those are the ones who belong to God. But I hope what you're seeing, and I hope what you'll see this entire journey through the life of Jesus, is that being a sinner does not disqualify you from following Jesus. It's actually a prerequisite. In fact, I'll go this far. Being an unbeliever doesn't disqualify you from following Jesus either. Because, see, when Jesus came to these fishermen, when he offered them this invitation to come and follow him, they were not believers yet. In fact, by the time that it's all over, by the time Jesus is crucified and placed in that tomb, every one of his followers would unfollow and unbelieve. And that still didn't disqualify them from being near Jesus. See, what Jesus was introducing into the world in this moment, it was something brand new. They'd never even conceived of this before because all they'd ever heard their whole lives was sinners have no place in God's family. Sinners are left outside. You got to keep the commandments. You got to get the sacrifices and bring them to the temple. You got to be good. You got to be holy. You got to be just like all the religious leaders who were up there with God. And then, and only then, maybe you'll be good enough for God to accept you. That's why when Peter realizes who he's in the boat with, he's scared out of his mind. And he says, go away from me. This is is not right. You shouldn't be close to me. I know who I am. I know what I've done. And I have no business being around you. And it wasn't just Peter. It was all the other fishermen as well. Look at what it says in verse 9. Peter was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught as were the others with him, his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They were all amazed. So you could kind of say they were all in the same boat. Sorry, lame attempt at humor, but they were. Literally and spiritually, they're all in the same boat. And I don't know exactly what Peter and Andrew and James and John thought was going to happen in that moment, but I guarantee you they were not expecting to hear what Jesus said to them next. Jesus replies to Simon, don't be afraid. I love that. Because I think it's so interesting. You read through the life of Jesus. Just, just take some time. And, and what you'll find is every time a person comes into the presence of Jesus and their first reaction is fear, Jesus always responds with those words. He always says the same thing. Don't be afraid. Look, I know what you think about God. I know what you've been taught to think about him. And I know what you believe is true about him. But 
You don't need to be afraid. There's no reason to be afraid. I'm not angry with you. I'm not disgusted with you. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to punish you. I'm not here to cast you out from, from, a pres- from the presence of God. I'm coming near. You don't have to be afraid. In fact, Jesus would say, I have something for you. And for those fishermen that day, Jesus had something for them. It's the same thing that I believe he has for you. It was an invitation. Jesus replies to Simon, don't be afraid. But from now on, you're going to be fishing for people. No more late nights, Peter. No more cleaning the nets. No more seasickness. No more fish to haul in. From now on, Peter, you stick with me. You just hang out with me, and we'll take this message of who God is and what he feels about people, and we're going to share it with every single person we come in contact with. doesn't matter how good they are, how bad they are, how religious they are, how skeptical they are. They all are going to receive this good news. God is not against you. God is for you. He is with you. He became one of you just to prove it to you. And if you think this little trick I just did with these fish is something, Peter, you ain't seen nothing yet. So as soon as they landed, they left everything, and they followed Jesus. And who wouldn't? Who wouldn't have followed him at that point? I mean, they just got a glimpse of God that they never even imagined. That the God who knew exactly who they were, the God who knew exactly what they'd done, the God who knew the language that they used, because remember, they're sailors, They probably cussed like sailors. (laughs) The God who knew everything about them wasn't mad at them, wasn't disgusted with them, wasn't frustrated with them, wasn't distancing himself, wasn't eager to destroy them or to throw them out of his presence. No, this God had come into their boat. (laughs) He wanted to be near them, and he was inviting them to even come closer because he had a purpose for them. And above all else, he loved them. He loved them right where they were. Whether they had ever loved him back or not. Whether they believed him or not. Whether they stayed fishermen or that they started following him. God still loved them and he just was going to keep on loving them. And that thought for them was just so good. They had to go with him. They had to follow him. They had to drop the nets, leave dad, and just go with him even though they may not have even believed who he was yet. They wanted it to be true. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wait a minute. They didn't believe? These are the disciples we're talking about. This is Peter. This is John. Of course they believed that Jesus was the Son of God right from the beginning, didn't they? Didn't they have unshakable faith? Not really. I mean... Fast forward just a few years from this, and they've spent years with Jesus. They'd seen him do miracles, even bigger stuff than the fish. And one day Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, Hey guys, what's the word on the street about me? What do you think about me? Who am I? And they start kind of going back and forth, and all the guys are like, Well, you know, a lot of people say you're a prophet, and a lot of people say you're a reincarnated holy man, and all this stuff. And and Jesus says, No, but what do you think? And they all kind of get silent. And Peter finally does speak up. He says, Well, I think you're the son of God. And you think, well, okay, now Peter's got it, right? He's, he's rock solid. 
Fast forward a little while longer and Jesus is arrested. He's put on trial. Public opinion starts to turn from Jesus. He's not quite so popular anymore. Peter runs the other way. Someone comes up to Peter and says, hey, didn't I see you hanging out with Jesus for the past few years? And he goes, no, not me. I don't even know him. And then Jesus is crucified, and he's buried in the tomb. And Peter and John and Andrew, all four of those fishermen, they go back to the boat, and they start fishing again. They unfollow. They unbelieve. Why? Because who wants to follow a dead man? I mean, there's no reason. It's over. And yet, even though they all turned back to their old life, Jesus still pursued them. After the res- his resurrection from the dead, Jesus comes to Peter, and he gives him another invitation, just like the first time. He says, Peter, come follow me. And this time, Peter followed for good. And now the reason I bring all of those things up is because I believe that maybe some of you here today are right in that place. You've heard the message of Jesus. God's for you. He's not against you. He loves you. He's pursuing you. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what you struggle to believe. But even right now, you're saying to yourself, I'm not so sure. I'm, I'm there yet. I'm not sure that it's true. But man, I wish it were. That's enough. It's basically what the disciples started out with. And I don't know, maybe you've spent most of your life and you've got the same assumption that Peter had about God, that God always distances himself from sinners. And the job of getting right with God, that's your job. It's all on you. Until you straighten up, until you behave, God's just disgusted with you, doesn't want anything to do with you. Now there may be a way for you to get back to God, but that is all on you, and you're going to have to work for it. And like Peter, every time you get a sense that you're in the presence of God, your first reaction is fear. And I just hope today that you will hear the same words that Peter heard on that day. Don't be afraid. There's no reason to be afraid. I love you. I'm not against you. I'm for you. In fact, there's an invitation for you. Come, follow me. Learn from me how to do this life, and together we'll discover the life that only God knows, life abundant, life everlasting, life eternal. So from wherever you stand right now, I'm telling you, you can point your feet toward Jesus, and you can start to move in his direction. Whether you're doubtful, whether you're skeptical, whether you're just curious, or whether you're fully convinced, it does not matter. You can start following Jesus from right where you are. And we as a church, that's what we're here for. We want to help you take your first steps in following Jesus. So can I just invite you to do one thing for me today, right now? Would you go to your campus page, ashleyparkchurch.com? And on that page, you're going to find a link that says, Make a decision. In fact, it's got a picture of some feet pointed in a direction. That's what it looks like. I want to invite you to click on that link right now. Just pull out your phone and go there. And you're going to find a form there you can fill out to send us your information. And you've got several different options. And I want to invite you to choose one of those options today. If, if you're ready to make a decision much like the disciples did on that day. Maybe today it's the first time you've ever even considered following Jesus. And you're not even sure what that means yet, but you're ready to start. You're hoping that it's true, and you want to see what it's like, and you want to know more. Well, would you just fill out that form and then check the box that says, Hey, I'm 
I've decided to follow Jesus today. And what we'll do is we'll contact you and we'll help you take those very first steps. Maybe you've already made that decision. You said, you know, I I really do want to follow Jesus, but you haven't taken the very first step that Jesus asked us to take when we've done that. You've never been baptized in water. Baptism is is a significant moment where followers of Jesus identify themselves with the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's a moment where we make this public statement that I'm trusting in Jesus as my leader and my Lord. And if you've never done that, you can check that box that says, I'm ready to be baptized, and we'll help you. We'll walk you through that step as well. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, I don't know, I'm curious, but I've got some questions. I've got some things that kind of are standing in the way of me following Jesus, and I need to get these questions cleared up. We want to help you with that too. We love to answer questions love to help you get past those if, if we can. So today, you could check that box that says, hey, I've just got questions about following Jesus. And we'd reach out, and we'd help you with those as well. Now, there are some of you here today, and you're following Jesus. You're doing your best at following after him. But if you're honest, here's what you would have to admit. You're following Jesus alone. In other words, You don't have anyone in your life that you regularly talk to about your faith, that you regularly talk about your life with. You don't have anyone who helps you set goals of following Jesus. You don't have anyone that you confess sins to. You don't have anyone to encourage you or anyone to strengthen you as you follow Jesus. And let me say to you, if there's no one in your life like that right now, and I know this is really bold for me to say, but I'm going to say it to you, you're not yet following Jesus. Because following Jesus always involves people. You will never experience the full abundant life that Jesus promised until you get into community with some folks who are doing it together. But we want to help you with that as well. You can check that box on that page that says, hey, I need a group. I need some people to help me, to walk with me. And we'll help you find your people. You can make that decision as well. Whatever decision God's calling you to make, you don't know what, what hangs in the balance of that decision. I pray you'll make whatever God's calling you to make today, whatever decision that is. Well, while you're doing that, while you're thinking on that, while you're praying about that, we're going to transition in our service right now to our time that we call communion. And I think the significance of communion, it goes right to the heart of what we just learned today from Jesus. See, just before Jesus was about to die on the cross, he left his followers with some physical symbols, and he invited his followers, when you come together, eat and drink these symbols and remember me. And that bread and that juice, those two symbols that Jesus gave us, represents his flesh and his blood. And whenever I think about God entering into our world as a human being, Jesus, flesh and blood, it just reminds me of the same thing that the disciples learned on that boat that day. God did not distance himself from us. He came near to us. He came in flesh and blood. So in just a moment, you're going to find some trays that are going to come down your row. Our ushers are going to pass them in just a moment. And you'll find those two symbols of bread and juice. And you're invited to eat and drink and remember Jesus in the way he asked us to. That he came to us. That he came for us. That he gave his body and his blood so that we might have life through him. And as we say around here, If you're still skeptical about this or you're uncomfortable with participating or you're just not sure, it's okay. You can just let the trays pass by as they come down your row and just pass it on to the next person and continue to reflect on what you're hearing and what you're learning today. 
But while we take communion and we remember Jesus today, our band's going to lead us in a song that talks about Jesus and who he is in our lives. I want to invite you to sing this song together as we take communion. So let's do that right now. You just remain seated right where you are. We're going to sing together, and we're going to remember Jesus as the emblems are passed. Let's do that right now.